Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. To begin. Are you watching closely? How to start. I just, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? In life itself, a memoir, Roger E. begins. I was born inside the movie of my life. I was born a poor black child. The visuals were before me. I was born in it, molded by it. The audio surrounded me. The plot unfolded inevitably, but not necessarily. I don't remember how I got into the movie, but it continues to entertain me. At first, the frames flicker without connection. We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. Here's the deal. Just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bowl Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. A podcast in which, eventually, ostensibly, at some point, we will be talking about the 2005 film Tristram Shandy, a cock and bull story, one minute at a time. Good lord, what is this story all about? Cock and a bull story. Here's your host, me, Robert Black. We're back again with Professor Sarah Black to discuss Group 6, Birdman, though I think we'll be moving on from there in a moment, versus Synecdoche, New York. I did want to ask about, because I was trying to remember when a scene happens. Because he kills himself on, or tries to kill himself on purpose, right? Yes. And there's a scene sometime before that where he, like, apologizes to his daughter. And I was trying to think of when that happens, because, like, at what point in the movie he makes the decision to shoot himself. And I couldn't remember. So it's more about, like, my memory than, like, the theme. That, but maybe it comes down to, like, what Inaritu is going for in terms of, like, horrible guy who tries to make up for it with suicide since he's... I was thinking about the story that's in the play, the story that is the play that's in the movie, and how it's about, they say the guy who shot himself did it for love. And like, is the movie trying to say, oh, this conflicts with what I said last time about like the movie being different than the character, but is the character trying to kill himself to make everyone's life better? I think if that is what's happening, and is that's that an worse? even more horrible <laughs> message for the right. movie than the one that I <laughs> ascribe to it. I mean, if he's apologizing to his daughter for not being there for her and then decides he's never going to be there for right? her by killing himself while she's still like, well, ever, but while she's still dealing with rehab yeah, and dealing with recovery, issues yeah. and her job is literally working for him. So it, yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out is when does he make that decision? Cause you, you know, he goes out and drinks. And then it's that last day and it's just all in, I mean, the way the film is done all in one shot or faking one shot, it's hard to gauge when certain things happen. I was, I'm trying to figure out how bad is the message of the movie <laughs> or how bad is the character of Riggin? 
or both. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Because <laughs> then I thought maybe he makes the decision earlier and like before he even goes to drink. Like maybe that's where we see the decision happen after he talks to the critic. I think that's when that happens. And then it's more he's apologizing because he already realizes he's going to kill himself. Which in story, in reality, bad. In story terms, that's slightly better because it's more like where you're going to, he's, I don't know. I got stuck yeah. on that scene in my head since we were did the since we did the last episode. <laughs> we don't. I mean, it's odd if that's his response to a critic. Like, I'll show her by giving her that. Like, how's she gonna write her review about me not being real if I do this very real thing on stage? I, I don't really. Well, well, that comes down mean, to like the problematic yeah. messaging. Is then I was thinking maybe like literally what Inarido was putting into the end of the movie is he knows his play's gonna fail. He knows he failed as a father. He knows he's a horrible person. So he makes it up in his mind to kill himself and then thinks an apology will make it all okay. Which it won't. But it, it might give Regan a better motivation in the end of the film, possibly. But then I don't know what the point is of him failing to shoot himself or kill himself if he does fail to do it. Yeah, I'm not sure what he's actually... Then, see, then the end of the movie gets really then. weird. Yeah. <laughs> and so now I'm stuck... I... <sighs> Eh, it's fine. Okay, moving on. on. <laughs> moving on to a, a man who's less of a character problem and more of a character with problems. Caden Cotard in Synecdoche, New York. Charlie Kaufman's, what, first time directing his own script. Yeah, and I've got to say, it's really interesting because I've made a lot of comments and critiques about there being so many white middle-aged male going through existential crises films, and that's exactly what this film is as well, and it's exactly what every Charlie Kaufman film is. Yeah. But for some reason, he does it in a way where I still love him, or I don't get annoyed with that aspect of him. And I don't know whether it's because... It's less of a focus on the attributes of one particular character and more of a philosophical trait. So I end up thinking a lot more than worrying about the identity of who's Yeah, you have that storytelling thing where it's like using the specifics to get universal, which he manages better. Yeah. And also I think it's a big thing about, in this case, in these these two movies is a good comparison, Riggin versus Caden. Riggin is an egocentric ass. Caden is not. He's, he's, I mean, we meet him. He's already like the put upon guy who's, he's just trying to be nice to everybody. He's trying to make something good. Riggin says he's trying to make something good, but we never know that. Yeah. I mean, in a way, he is, Caden is egotistical. He's not a, he's not well, inherently, a yeah. But, I don't know if it's necessarily more than we're all egotistical in trying to control our own lives, which I think, again, is what Charlie Kaufman does better. He writes characters and philosophical themes and situations that feel more universal. I mean, mm-hmm. that's my subjective perspective. Which which is funny in this case, because I realize there's even more similarities with Reagan and Caden, because they're both dealing with, like trying to care for a daughter they haven't been around for. Caden possibly not by his choice, although she suggests otherwise on her deathbed. Yeah. 
I mean, Caden is clearly wanting to be more involved. I mean, we don't really see that. We don't really see any of the backstory with Regan and his daughter. So we don't know how much he was there, not there, what their interactions were. Like, obviously, we have to assume since he was Birdman and was in film, he wasn't around. Well, we know he we, cheated on his wife, and that's when their marriage broke up. We can assume that's when he left. Right. But we don't really know too yet too much because the backstory isn't part of it where we see more of Caden's relationship with his daughter, even if it's not directly his relationship with his daughter in certain parts. Like he's caring enough to read her diary, which sounds weird to say caring enough to read her diary, but the whole <laughs> film is like absurdist. So That's after if you gone. haven't seen it, it doesn't really make well, sense. I, but I think in terms of the father-daughter thing, it's we get to see him walk her, as, I think it's to school right? early in the play. Early in the film. Whereas the first thing we get with Riggins' daughter is she works for him. Like she's his assistant. And so she's doing work first. She's not his daughter first. Right. And so I think we have a better idea that Caden cares. Yeah. I mean, Caden's daughter's purpose isn't to serve him or to do something for him, which goes back to my issue with Birdman and that all the women were just there to serve him. But in Synecdoche, we see his... Him in a, in a loving role with her, in yeah. a caring role with her. Just to back up a little bit, the title, Synecdoche, New York, is a play, of course, on Schenectady. I always try to whenever I say one. Yeah. Yeah. Except the other one, New York. And uh, Synecdoche is a term denoting a specific class of thing that's used to refer to a larger, more general class of thing, which I think a, synected, a Synecdoche is... See, now, that you, now that you said the other one, you're in trouble saying that one. Yeah. <laughs> it can be philosophical, yeah. It can also be really simple, because isn't one of the common examples like calling your car wheels? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ebert says, in other words, the playwright's life refers to all lives, and all lives refer to his life. Kaufman gives the whole thing away right there in his title, the theme of the play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I keep saying play, because we have yeah. plays in both well, films. Theme of the film is, <laughs> is that Kaufman's life is all lives and we're all him and not in an all lives matter way, but in a <laughs> <laughs> If any of the all lives matter want a movie to like, they should like this one. Yeah. Because it would teach them to maybe take that literally instead of just as a slogan. So overarching theme is death and dying, but I think the overarching theme is how we construct reality and how we construct our own lives and how yeah. everyone else is a part of that life. I like that we're f recording this episode right around the time the movie was set because it was set right um September as sorry, because I'm oh, you an astrology liker where, yeah, where we're switching over from Virgo to Libra season. And we're also switching over from, summer to fall and we're also switching over into what would connect in terms of hours of a day that same part in the evening and so very purposefully they're making that connection about him being into his 40s about to head into the fall of his own life hmm. that's in the script by the way the thing in the opening scene where the date keeps changing and the time changes and yeah so we start with 744 breakfast takes like a month and a half switching from 745 <laughs> yeah i i loved all of the playing around with dates because 
Oh, well, I love what Charlie Kaufman does in a lot of his films regarding memory, because think about it. Do we remember breakfast on a given day? Do we remember a lot of memories like specific to a time? No, we usually don't. We remember bits and pieces based on our own perceptions, based on every interaction we've had prior to that interaction. Yeah. And so we've even had conversations where it's like, wait, when did that happen? Did that mm-hmm. happen before that other thing? I thought that we did this together because our brains don't hold There are a few people in the world whose brains do hold memories in a linear fashion, (laughs) but that is rare. That is not right. And (laughs) any problem with remembering when things are gets worse the more you try to, because each time you remember it, now that new memory is the memory you brought up the time before. Exactly. Changes. There are stories from my own life and my own past that I wonder how accurate. I mean, I'm not purposefully lying about any of them. Say like if I write about them or talk about them. But I wonder how accurate, like if we actually took a camera and Mm. pointed it on that scene where, say, my seventh grade teacher read the note out loud to the crush that I had, like how would viewing that scene, if we could actually go back in time, connect with my perception and memory of that scene? And I think, cause like you're saying, every time we remember something, since that's something that I remember, and since it's a funny story, I've told it a lot say to students because they they connect with it so every time that i tell that story and retell that story and remember it or write about it how much further away am i getting from From what actually happened and i love how kaufman deals with that by the or through the changing dates and through Mm -hmm. the changing sometimes because it's really difficult to capture a feeling like that or a philosophical idea like that And this is just one example of Kaufman doing this, but I don't know of a filmmaker who does this better than Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. So if he wants to make movies about middle-aged white men from now until he dies, that's cool. I'll still watch them. (laughs) Even if they don't pass the Bechdel or any other tests. (laughs) I know we have a lot of them, but I just feel like he does something that I haven't seen anybody else do. Yeah. That makes me care about him and his films more. Some other themes that we get very early on are names and colors. So we could talk briefly about the names of characters in the film. You have them written down. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the names and the colors go together, actually, because his daughter's name is Olive. Right. And we see Olive and different shades of green and yellow throughout the entire film in a way that it becomes obvious. And if you're looking for it, even jarring at a certain point, Mm -hmm. because it is everywhere. I mean, we even have reference, which overlaps to another theme, which is bodily functions. But we even have reference to Olive's bowel movements at the start of the film being green and yellow. Yeah. And we have the walls, the furniture, and, everywhere he goes, well, the couches. The actually, magazine. that gives it a good thematic question as well, is when she asks if that means it's alive. Because the film is about dying, essentially, but so many things in the film are green. When the movie asks at the beginning, does that mean they're alive? Yeah, and that's the thing. Is green life or death? Because green is life. We see the vivid green of her yeah. coat in the most loving scene when she's a little girl uh-huh. and is with him. But green also, green and yellow can also represent pus decay. And so I think he's purposefully choosing these colors and kind of weaving that together, Mm -hmm. life and death all being part of the same thing. Well, And then in the visuals of the movie, it is New York City, 
creating a smaller New York City and a smaller New York City and a smaller New York City, they don't deal with nature in this film very much, even though that's where Green would be, like, most vibrant. Yeah, that's true. It's not like Central Park is one of his sets, you know. One of the outside scenes, again, would be Olive in the brighter green coat. Yeah. Outside. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of other times we're really outside or getting when he, life. When he goes to try to see her in Europe. That's true. That's that scene outside, is set but outside. it's a patio of a restaurant. It's yeah, concrete. we're not really getting much nature there either. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's true. We're not really getting... We're getting plays that are constructed mm-hmm. Yeah, constructed reality. But we're, we're not starting getting... with his directing Death of a Salesman, which that's in the script for Death of a Salesman, is that the set should be partly see-through and overlap. And olive also means peace, so yeah. Well, it doesn't also mean well, mean peace, but in addition to a color, no, yeah, <laughs> it means peace. Adele is his wife. That means noble one. Hmm. And what did peace. I forgot? What does Caden mean? Because we haven't talked about Cotard yet. We'll get to that. Caden meant something good too. I forget. Huh. I'm gonna have to look that up, or you can look that up. And while you're doing that, I can talk briefly about the Cotard Delusion. His last name is Cotard, and the Cotard Delusion is a rare disorder in which a person holds a delusional belief that he is dead, does not exist, is putrefying, or has lost his blood or internal organs. And we can talk a little bit about all of the (laughs) bodily functions and just illnesses that he's dealing with. While Caden Cotard does seem to suffer from what would be typically diagnosed as the Cotard delusion, his condition appears to be a biological manifestation of his life. He's constantly deteriorating while also taking a painstakingly long time to die, which mm-hmm. is relatable. Well, yeah, because his play takes many, 50 yeah. years. Yeah. And that doesn't even start at the beginning of the film. And how many of us by 40 feel like that. Like we start to have aches and pains or we don't recover from exercise fast enough or maybe we're more physically tired and then we start to worry like what is that mole or what is that cough that we have yeah. or what is... But <laughs> well, And him specifically is he has all of those problems only when he's in real scenes, not directing. Yeah. Like when he goes out to dinner, you get the thing where he has to like make himself salivate in order to eat. Mm-hmm. We have the different things at the beginning of the movie. But whenever he's directing, he's not... He doesn't have anything other than his limp late in the film. Yeah. Everything else is, he's fine when he's directing, he's just getting old. Yeah. His name, by the way, means fighter. Okay. Well, but it may also be, etymologists uh, think it's a Gaelic form of Adam. Oh, so first man, that would fit. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> he's supposed to be first man, every man representing mm-hmm. every life, so. Which then puts his name as basically being like first life and death. Last life, yes. Yeah. Obviously, we have very clear and purposeful choices mm-hmm. for names and the, everything is carefully chosen from the names and the colors and the bodily functions, which we see the movies walking us as the audience through Caden's life, starting with him reasonably healthy and progressively turning to worse states of being. He develops sores on his face, which are more extreme yeah. than acne, which he calls psychosis, which is another play on words, S Y C O S I S. Versus psychosis, is he experiencing psychosis, freaking out about everything, right. that having a break, or does he actually have psychosis? This Which he explains condition? the difference to his daughter, who doesn't understand either word. No, because she's like three or four or something. <laughs> yeah, because Olive asks and Caden explains there's a difference between psychosis and psychosis, though they are indeed <laughs> homonymous. Homonymous? I can't speak today. 
homonym. Yeah, that would be homo, homonymous. Homophones. Homophonous? I don't know how to use that yeah. as an adjective. <laughs> I guess it's a word. So, either way, we see his worsening physical conditions mm-hmm. as clear symbols are going alongside his deteriorating mental state. Yeah. Break from reality throughout the film. We have so many other mentions of bodily functions, too. Many references to poop mm-hmm. throughout the film. Menstruation. Yeah. Other types of blood. Yeah, his daughter's yeah. afraid to have blood. Yeah. Capillaries, which is also connected to plumbing and toilet. And plumbing and toilets and capillary, capillaries, these are the systems, essentially, that keep us alive. So mm-hmm. I like the connection between the capillaries and our own body with the plumbing system yep. that are keeping all the artificially constructed sets and buildings alive. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we could talk a little bit about Hoffman's directing Death of a Salesman. Hoffman. Oh, Hoffman, the actor. You say either. I say either. You say neither. And I say neither. Either. Either. Neither. Neither. Let's call the whole thing off. Now, before we get to Death of a Salesman, can you tell the listeners where they can hear more from you? So you can hear my show, Life as a Playlist, which is essentially me telling autobiographical and social political stories too, but who knows how many songs <laughs> I'm going to want to do. <laughs> I might do an episode that completely shatters my own conceit soon, but you can also follow Life as a Playlist on all major social media accounts. Cut. Thank you for listening. This has been Cock and Bull Minute, a Tristram Shandy story. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cock Bull Minute. Find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a Mandalorian. Why would you create such an abomination? This is the weapon of the coward. The, uh, it's a past stuff that dreams are made of. Cut. That's a wrap. It's over, Johnny. It's over. Nothing is over! Nothing! You're still here? You just don't turn it off! It's over. Go home. Go.